How is the 10 a.m. doing? I'm very excited to be preaching. I've got a TV on stage, so everyone's excited because it's moved from a flip chart to a TV. We have upgraded, and everyone's wondering, what are you going to do with that? Uh, don't worry, it's all going to make sense. Um, but we are in this series, week two. Vona kicked us off last week uh, before jetting off yesterday to uh, Zambia. And uh, it's a series called Look Up. It's a series where we're taking a look at our emotions because our emotions are things that actually need to be processed because they impact the world that we live in and how we interact in it. And amazingly in God's Word, specifically in the Psalms where we're camping through this series, we have a perspective on how we can better process our emotions through the power of prayer. The Psalms are set up as prayers where we can actually process our emotions with God. Because I think emotions can be these huge daunting things that can lead to so much negativity around us or even negativity through us. And yet God's got a better way for us to walk it out. I'm going to jump straight in because I've got a lot to cover. But on the front end, when we're talking about emotions, I think we all understand how important our emotions and our emotional world is. But some important things to note on the front end about emotions are that they are natural neutral and needed and necessary. Those are what I want to kind of lay a platform and a foundation for us. That number one, emotions are natural. That actually we see God engaging, experiencing, and expressing emotions. And if He created us in His image, it's meant that in our creation, He will reflect that truth even in our emotional internal world. And so when we experience, engage, and express in emotions, I hope you know that it is completely natural because it's been built into our creation. Also, number two, emotions are neutral. I think wrongly it's taught or wrongly believed, it's a myth that needs to be busted that there are good emotions and there are bad emotions. The truth is, they aren't. Emotions are neutral. What we do with those emotions, how we act on those emotions is the fork in the road that will define if we walk this thing out in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. Because think about some of the so-called negative emotions, things like jealousy, sadness, or what we're going to look at today, anger. All three of those emotions are exhibited, engaged, and expressed by God in His Word. A holy God can't have unholy emotions. He will take emotions that are neutral and express them in a holy way because He is a holy God. And so for us, there is no unholy emotion. There is no negative emotion. What you do with it will define if it's unhealthy or healthy, if it's godly or ungodly. And then they're also needed and necessary. And this is super important. I'm going to go to my TV. This is the process I'm going to kind of be referencing throughout, and it's going to give us a good structure for the day. Because in any emotion, this is what is true. You are going to have three areas where this thing will play out. You have your outside world, you have your inner world, and then you have the outside world again. And so an emotion can be triggered by an event in the outside world moving into the inner space of who we are. That emotion will get awakened. And then based on that, we're able to act on it. And so emotions are needed and necessary because they actually help us translate the outside world to our inner world, help us then instruct how we act and interact back out to the external. It's an important process that we understand and we know that they are needed and necessary for us to function. They've been built into how God wired us. We're going to be jumping into Psalm 4. And it's a psalm that's written by David. And he's going to hone in 
on this idea that, emo- that troubling times can bring troubling emotions. And yet it is a song and a hymn and a prayer written by David, a prayer that we would remain faithful even in distressing or troubling times because God has a way for us to process, to filter, and he actually can bring relief and security to us in the midst of the chaos that we can face. This is how he actually starts in Psalm 4 from the very first verse. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious and hear my prayer. I want to set the scene for us. I mentioned we're going to to be focusing in on this emotion of anger. It's a big one. It's a scary one. We know where it can go. And there are so many different things that can trigger and awaken the emotion of anger in us. And so when you take a look at our outside world, they could be events, circumstances, people, or pressures that then will elicit within us and awaken within us specifically anger. David says that troubling times are going to bring these troubling emotions. He describes this this anger that we can have awakened within us because of the outside world now affecting us, and it actually can cause distress. I think for us as South Africans specifically, we have a lot to be angry about. We can be quite an angry people. And that emotion awakened within us is something that needs to be walked out. And the question is, are we going to walk it out with God or are we going to walk it out in our own strength? I want to say some things on the front end specifically about anger. Because I think anger gets the bad rap of being this negative emotion, so-called negative emotion. But anger is actually very important because when we are justly angry at something, it can be an amazing motivator towards good action. Because what anger actually does is anger reveals what or who you love. Because when something you love gets struck or touched, anger will be awakened within you. Can I tell you? That's a good thing. We act like it's a terrible thing. No, what you do with it is going to define if it's good or bad. And so the emotion is not something we run from. The emotion is something we need to do some work with. But amazingly, God has answers for us. He gives us this idea in verse 1. As David writes, and he describes the distress that we can be under. Because don't get me wrong, anger is a high-stake emotion. We can get, it can run away with us if we let it be unfiltered and raw, and we just react to it immediately. We know that's how it goes. It can be distressful and difficult to work through. But these two words that he uses in verse 1, I think are so helpful in setting the scene for us. That that distress... It's actually not the Hebrew word for the emotion of feeling troubled or distressed. It is the Hebrew word that is used for enemy, opposition, foe. He says, actually, when my enemy was coming at me and the feeling of distress is awakened, God, I thank you that you give me relief. Anger is something that is awakened within us. It can be distressing because there is an enemy outside trying to get in. But God has relief and rest for us. And the word relief he uses is the word Rahab, which actually means to enlarge your territory or to put distance between. And so the picture is, even in the midst of something that could be quite distressing, a big anger emotion, the hope for us, the good news for us is that God is the God who gives us relief from our enemy, who puts distance between me and my enemy. An enemy that is close is dangerous. An enemy that is far away is less. 
This is the picture of what God has for us in walking out our anger in righteousness. And so what you need to know on the front end is that dealing with this kind of high stakes, big emotion of anger is going to be difficult and distressing, but God has the answers for us. I think we need to take the posture that David does is on the, has on the front end of this psalm. He says, be, uh, be gracious and hear my prayer. It's the whole point of this series, that God is actually encouraging us that in the midst of our distress, in the midst of processing our emotions, we actually need to go to Him with a posture of prayer. We need to have a conversation with Him in terms of processing our emotions. And he specifically refers to God and says, the God of my righteousness. Because his posture, posture is not just one of prayer, it's also a posture of humility that says, I know I don't have the strength to do this on my own. But actually, you are the God of my righteousness. Meaning the righteousness doesn't come from me, it comes from you. That's the posture we need to take. So taking a look at it, I hope you've also noticed that up until this point, where we have all these triggering things, doesn't matter if it's an event or a circumstance, a person or a pressure, and an emotion that is awakened within you, I want to just release you of some pressure here. All of that is not within our control. The outside world will have an effect on you and me. We don't have a say necessarily in what emotion gets awakened within us. But can I tell you, from that point on, we have control. In that, from that point on, we have a responsibility in what we will do with that, act, that, uh, that anger and how we will play it out back into the world. That's where our responsibility starts. And so I want to I break this up into two big headings because I think our processing is going to be important as it then feeds into our action. So let's take a look at the first one, processing. And the two big words I want you to hear are feeling and filtering because both are important and both have to happen. We need to feel our emotion, but we need to filter it too. He continues in verse 3, and he says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. He starts by laying this foundational truth that as a godly person, you are set apart by God and God alone. And it's important that that means as we process and we walk it out, we look different to the world. We set apart in how we react and how we respond and how we play this out. If we're going to be a people of his presence in 2023, where we're reflecting Jesus, looking more like Jesus, I can tell you Jesus got angry. He experienced every human emotion across the spectrum, and yet he processed it and worked it out in a righteous way. We're called to do the same. We have been set apart by him. You only set apart something for three reasons for enjoyment, for purity, or for special service. Can I tell you, all of those are true in God setting you and me apart. For his enjoyment, he sets us apart so that we're set in relationship with him. He sets us apart in purity so that we are now not dirtied by the dirtiness of the world, the darkness of the world, the brokenness of the world. But we're set apart, made clean, righteous in his presence. But he doesn't leave us there because he sets us apart for a special service a mission to a very dark, broken world who needs his presence. We're set apart. He continues then and says in verse 4, be angry and do not sin. We're going to live there for a while. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, seller. Be angry and do not sin. This is not in my notes. Do you notice, it's a, I know someone is going to ask me the question, why does he say, like, go do it on your beds? Do you notice he talks about a change of location? Because he says sometimes we just need to get out of the space because something changes. That's for free. That's not in my nose. 
Be angry and do not sin. I hope you notice. Why did we not talk about this in preach meeting? I only saw it now, literally. Um, be angry and do not sin. I want you to notice it doesn't say do not be angry. It actually encourages us, be angry. And, there's an important connection there, and do not sin. Because we have to be honest with ourselves. Most of our anger doesn't walk down a road of non-sinning. It walks down a road of sin. Anger is one of those emotions where it is dangerous in the sense that it can lead us in temptation towards sin. And I want to take a look at what that actually means. James 1 verse 19 to 20 actually speaks of it like this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We can be tempted to sin in the midst of our anger because the fire is burning and we immediately react. It doesn't lead us down the road. When we have the anger of man, it leads us down a road of unrighteousness. We know this. But for a moment, he's going to help us say, how do you filter your anger so that you don't walk down that road? But for a moment, I just want to take a sidebar and say he's given us the destination saying, be angry, do not sin. And then he'll jump into the how we do it, ponder in your own arts and be silent. This idea of feeling and filtering. But what I want to highlight in a moment is that I hope you don't miss that there is a pause in between. Now, in the Old Testament original language, there's no such thing as punctuation. There's no semicolon, there's no uh, comma. But I hope you see that even in his chain of thought, there is a natural pause between these two things. Because be angry and do not sin is the destination. Ponder in your, this is how we now get there. There is a change in thought and there is this natural pause. I believe if we're going to respond and we're going to actually walk out our righteous anger, we need to become masters of the pause. Because how difficult is it when the heat of anger begins, when the fire starts to pause, to stop, to take yourself out of that space and not immediately react? Because we know when we get hit with an anger is awakened and we immediately react, is that reaction generally good? No. And we have all these ways that help us. Hey, when you get angry, you need to count to 10. When you get angry, you need to go to a different room. You need to get yourself away. Take 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you need. Take. We have all these things. And I think they're helpful. Don't get me wrong. They're helpful for the moment of pause and stop. But I think if we only focus there, we're going to lose. Because that battle is almost too difficult to hit alone. Because sometimes when we are triggered, sometimes when the fire is burning and it is out of control, it is so difficult that counting to 10 is not enough. But if we turn our focus not just to the moment of pause, but we look before it and after it, I think there's answers for us. Because can I tell you, you don't plan to win in the heat of the moment. You plan to win by planning outside before the heat comes. And so that means before the moment where we're triggered and the anger is awakened, we're gonna take a posture that says, hey, I'm gonna be a bit, I'm gonna have, a, have some self-awareness here. I'm gonna have a desire for growth. And so I'm gonna plan, how will we actually deal when that moment comes, because it will come. I'm gonna be aware that there are triggers on the outside that are outside of my control that might actually affect me. It's in this moment I know I start to have control and responsibility. I have no control of this. And this means we might need to become acutely aware of the triggers we may have. 
Because there are triggers that are unknown and will hit us and anger gets awakened. But you know the buttons that someone could push that are especially dangerous. And if we have a trigger awareness on the front end, I can tell you when that button gets pushed, it's going to help us in the moment to pause. And let's be honest, there'll be the moments where we get it wrong where we explode, where we immediately react and we walk down a road of unrighteousness, where we walk out in sin, where we're in the anger of man and not walking out the anger of God. And I tell you, it's also important that after that, we take a look. God's got grace for it, but we also know, hey, I could do that better. When we take the process of planning and growing and we look before the moment and after the moment, can I tell you, the moment of pause becomes so much easier. Anger is going to lead us down one of these roads. It's either going to lead us down a road of ungodliness or godliness. And there's a few truths that I want, to, I want to kind of highlight on the front end. And they should be freeing to us. And the truths are that God gets angry so we can get angry. Truth number one, truth number two. God gets angry so that we can get angry. God gets angry, but it, it describes his anger as quite different to how we see anger play out in our daily lives. When James says that we are to be slow to anger, he's actually referencing uh, Exodus, which is describing God, a characteristic of God, that God's anger, he is slow to anger. And so when we are slow to anger, we're actually having godly anger. So we can get angry, but it is going to have to align with God's vision and picture of anger. And that's what we're going to do and take a look at. But first, I want to take a look at this idea of ungodly anger. Because this one's pretty easy. There's not much to say here. When we walk down the road of ungodly anger, we know what we do. We feel and immediately move. We do not feel and filter and then move. We feel and move. We immediately react based on the emotion that's been awakened. And so the unfiltered, raw emotion of anger comes out and it explodes. And there's a couple of dangers attached to this. Danger number one is that its output is often sin. And if the output is sin, I hope you know the destination of that is that there will be harm attached to it. Harm for you and harm for others. How many of us have got a boss or a friend who when they get angry and explode, everyone in the vicinity gets hit? It inflicts harm. When it's left unfiltered and raw, it's going to explode because there's now feel and move, and that's it. Danger number two is this. Anger is actually an emotion that can be stored up. This is why we can sometimes have moments where we feel and move. The um, emotion of uh, anger gets awakened, and immediately we react, and we're shocked because it feels like we've given a thousand rand reaction to a ten rand problem. Somehow just waking up and looking at the load shedding schedule sends you out. And we go, how the heck did that happen? This is something Mads Daisel talks a lot about. She did the parenting initiative with us um, last week. And I, I, I hope you know that it is because of this truth that anger can be stored up in you to the point where it's so pressurized that the smallest hair trigger can release everything. Thousand rand for a ten rand. But anger also is so insidious when it walks down this road that it can be stored with different faces. Sometimes it's stored as bitterness. Sometimes it's stored as hostility. Sometimes it's stored as resentment. Sometimes it's stored as a feeling of numbness. 
And we don't realize that that actually, when you pull it back to its source, is because we're so angry that we're literally numb. And yet it stores and stores and stores. And on the day that the hair trigger blows, it all comes out. Romans 2 actually tells us that when we walk the road of unrighteousness, God's anger, His holy wrath is stored up against us. Anger is something that can be stored. And this is what makes it dangerous when we walk it out in an ungodly way. The analogy I always go to, and I think it's helpful to picture, if I had a bottle of water and I took the cap off and it's filled with water, if I squeeze it, what's going to happen? Water will come out. And the picture is this, that what is inside under pressure will come out. And if we have stored up anger that is unfiltered, raw, emotion, anger, ugly stuff, bitterness, resentment, whatever it looks like, whatever face it is wearing, under the smallest amount of pressure, that will explode. And we can't be shocked that it walks us down the road of harm. It walks us down the road of immense damage. Look how different it is when we start to talk about godly anger. I want to take a look at how God gets angry and what God's anger looks like, because I think it's a picture for us in how we can walk this out in a godly way. When you look at how God gets angry, I'll go back to James speaking about being slow to anger. It's actually the verse that is the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. Speaking about the characteristic of God that he is slow to anger. That is how he gets angry. It actually means that for us who can feel and move, immediately react, trigger and go, God's quite different. Because he is capable of getting angry, but he is slow to get there. He has to be nudged towards it. He doesn't store it up in in the ungodly way that it's now going to explode. Because for him, actually, anger is a temporary destination. It's not a permanent dwelling. When we store it up, when that anger is unfiltered and it's raw and it's just sitting there, can I tell you, that becomes your permanent dwelling. I'm sure every one of us have known an angry person who is like that. They're just angry and they're perpetually angry. That's the place that they live. God doesn't live there. He can get there, but he gets there slowly. I know this can be sometimes a little confusing for many when we say, Dunks, you're trying to tell me that God is loving, that he is love, but at the same time, now you're telling me he is angry. How do these two things play together? I'll take you back to the verse in Exodus, the original verse that speaks about God being slow to anger. In verse 6 of Exodus 34, it says, speaking of God, he is the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He gets angry because he loves. Remember I said anger is that emotion that reveals who and what we love. And so you can't actually have the angry God without the loving God. But you can't forget that the loving God is important because he is also merciful. And mercy is how he will love us and care for us and protect us. He will get angry because he sees the things that come against us, the enemies that come against us, the sin that is within us that can break us. It will make him greatly angry, but because he loves us, he also has mercy. I want to remind you what mercy means. Mercy literally means to not give someone what they deserve. And so if we are struggling in sin, which is unholiness directed enemy of God, He is right and just to have anger at that sin. And the sin has a punishment that is attached to it. God gets angry at that. 
We deserve the punishment, but God has mercy for us so that we don't get what we deserve, the punishment for our sin. In His mercy, He loves us and makes us a different way. He gives us a different option. And so God has to be angry because He loves, but He is also going to love through His mercy. Now look at what, what He gets angry at. That's how he gets angry. He's slow. He's merciful. He makes a way out. He protects us. And I hope you see the picture is that he's not the God that then uh, we get scared of, like he's the dad coming home and we're the naughty kids that have messed it up. No, actually, when we fail, he's the God that is merciful and loving and caring. And he's the God we say, hey, we run to you for help. Because Romans 2 actually tells us that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. He has to be angry, but he is kind and loving and makes a way for mercy. We run to him for help. Look at what he gets angry at. There's so many examples throughout scripture of God's righteous anger. I want to take a look at Jesus specifically. Jesus experienced every human emotion. He dealt with every big emotion and, and distress me and you could ever imagine. You have 60 different references to Jesus' emotional life in the gospels. And I want to look at two specific moments where he experienced righteous godly anger. The first one is in Mark chapter 3. It's the Sabbath miracle. Now, according to the Old Testament law, the Hebrew people had to keep a Sabbath, meaning a day in the week where they would completely rest, there would be no work, and it was a sin to do any work of any kind. Now, that was God's law. But at the same time, you had religious leaders who had power over the people and the system and structure of religion at the time, and religious leaders do what religious people do. They start to add their own law their own T's and C's, their own fine print, their own rules and regulations on top of God's law so that now they have control. And they had hectic Sabbath laws, crazy things of like, you, like it was nuts. And they're watching Jesus who is now growing in his ministry, getting notoriety. The people are starting to see, hey, this is the guy. And he has this moment on a Sabbath day where a withered man comes. He has a withered hand and is in need of healing. And they see an opportunity because this is where we can get him. Because if he performs a miracle on the Sabbath, he's broken the law. Jesus knows their heart. He knows that they're an enemy and an opposition to him and his ministry. And he looks at them and it says actually this. He looked, at around, uh, he looked at around them at, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he will still do the miracle and heal the man's withered hand. And everybody gets angry. The religious leaders throw up their hands. We've got him. We've got a charge against him. He has now broken the law. He has done a miracle on a Sabbath. They get angry. Jesus gets angry at them. One is unrighteous, one is righteous. I'll let you guess which one is which. Because Jesus' anger directed towards them, it says he's grieved at the hardness of their heart, is he gets so angry at religion when it blocks him healing hurt. Jesus is going to get really angry at religion when it gets in the way and put obstacles between his relationship with that man, with moving that man towards salvation in him. The next example is actually in John chapter 11. It's Lazarus' death. Jesus was friends with three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And as he is away, Lazarus falls ill. He hears about it and on his way and returning, Lazarus actually passes away. And he's deeply hurt because this was a close friend of his. But as he gets back to the site, the tomb where it is, spoiler alert, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
but he sees that there's weeping and mourning and sadness all around. And specifically when he sees Mary weeping, this is what it says in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Why would he get angry at Lazarus' death if he knew he's going to raise him from the dead and declare, I am the resurrection and the life? Can I tell you, he was get, Jesus gets angry at death because he knows its source. And in the midst of watching the brokenness and the weeping of people, he understands that sin is the source of death and sin brings with it brokenness and hurt. And he has compassion on his people. Jesus gets angry at religion. Jesus gets angry at death because he knows its, its source is sin. Now the question is, when do we feel angry? Do we feel angry like Jesus feels angry? I think as humans, we generally will feel angry when one of two things happens. When either we feel wronged or we feel right. If we feel right, we're going to get angry when someone's coming at that. If we feel we have been wronged or some violation has happened against us, we're going to have anger awakened within us. And we see this play out in so many different places and spheres of our lives. How many of us have a complex or an estate WhatsApp group? And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Someone feels wronged or someone feels right and the group blows up. Fire everywhere. We've only been on our, our, in our new place now for about six months. First week, our complex blew up. And every complex group has got that one person. Maybe it's that old Tani at number nine. Or it's the old Bali guy. Or it's the young buck who thinks he's a champ or whatever. It doesn't matter who it is, but every, everyone's got that one. Our guy's name is Cowboy. I, I shouldn't say this on a public forum. Um, I don't know what his actual name is, but that's his WhatsApp name. But I can tell you, me and my wife, when Cowboy gets on the group, we are like, do you see? <laughs> you know it. You've got that person. I think in Cyan Taran, it's Umyan. He was the one for years in their complex WhatsApp group blowing it up. Everyone knew. Let's, take a, let's go individual. Imagine you've got a moment and uh, you've got a, a, a conflict with someone and anger is getting awakened. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you get to that moment where you know the big argument is coming. And so what are you going to do in prep? You get in the shower and you plan that argument, start to finish. You even are role-playing in the shower, getting voices. You start to play it out in your mind. They're going to say this, then I'm going to nail them with it. We know. Because I feel wronged, and I am right. Or even at the lowest of low level when it comes to anger, maybe you're just hungry. How many hangry people do we have? And you feel wronged because you are hungry, but you also just feel like nothing is right until that food hits your body and it plays out. Now, we understand those are all real things, but in context, when you start to mirror it and contrast it to what Jesus gets angry about, is it any real substance to our anger? It's a sobering reality because I think this is helpful in our understanding of what it looks like to filter the, uh, the anger emotion. Because let me tell you, you don't have control of that thing getting awakened, but you've got control in how you filter it. Because sometimes we need to realize that our anger is not righteous. And so the helpful next question is not, well, when do I get angry? It's actually asking, is my anger righteous? Is this actually godly anger? I want to take a look 
at two helpful questions in how we can now filter. The truth is, if we are now not going to fall for the ungodly trap where we just feel and move, we need to now feel, filter, and then move. And how we filter is actually given in this passage. But it's actually this idea that we need to test our emotions. David puts it in the way that we need to ponder within our own hearts, be silent. Take a moment to filter what's going on in the inside before we take it to the outside. And these words, I think, are helpful. We need to experience, engage, investigate, and question. We actually need to feel, and then we need to filter. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if we're going to be good at regulating our emotions in a godly way, we need to become very skeptical of our emotions first. The posture you need to take is one of a detective, one who is a skeptic who says, I'm actually going to investigate this thing to see if it's even right. When the anger is there and triggered, we've got a responsibility to do some work, to ponder in our own hearts and investigate. And two helpful questions to ask is this. Number one, is my anger valid? We have a lot of anger that's not valid. And a helpful question attached to it is to actually start to ask, well, what is the source of this anger? Because if we can highlight what the root is, it's going to reveal a lot of truth to us. Because is the root of this thing actually selfishness? Because if it is, this isn't a valid emotion. Because it's actually just all about me, and I've been, uh, I've been entitled somehow to go this way, and, and now I've been wronged. It's not lining up to a, an emotion that's been validated by God in walking this out in a godly, righteous manner. The root's going to reveal the truth. And so sometimes we can pull it back, and it's selfishness, and we know it's not valid. Sometimes we can pull it back, and actually the root of our anger is fear or insecurity. Gentlemen, this is where we live most of the time. We express it, exhibit it as anger, but when we pull it back, we're actually just scared or insecure. And if we can honestly investigate and pull back to that source, can I tell you, those feelings are valid, but we have to do some work there. God's got some work to do there, because we know if you are scared or insecure, it's a dangerous road because you're so tempted to now lash out. And that road of sin, we know where it leads to harm and damage. Maybe the, when we pull it back to the root, it's actually a root of bitterness or unforgiveness. Your trigger might be a person. And you know them right now. Their name's in your head. You hear their name immediately. You see their face immediately. You're in their presence. You see them on social media. Whatever it is, triggered immediately. Because there's this root of bitterness this root of unforgiveness. But can I tell you that danger again is that that stuff's stored. And when it is stored, it can be insidious and do damage, not just to the outside world, but to our very own souls. When we identify the root, we can validate our emotion with God. The next question we should be asking is, is my anger righteous? If we've gone back to the root and the source and we've done some, some work there, we can then start to ask, well, is this anger actually righteous? And the helpful question is, would God be angry about this thing like I am? Because when we get to know God deeper, when we know his heart and his way, it's going to help us answer this question. Because I, I don't want to like step on toes here, but the person that cut you off in traf a traffic that triggered your emotion of anger, God might not care as much as you do in the heat of that anger moment. I think he might have some bigger things to worry about. Is my anger righteous? Does God, is God as angry about this thing as I am? 
God's going to get angry at sin, evil, death. And so that means when we see someone genuinely violated, when we see a great sin that's committed either against us or someone else, can I tell you, we get to walk in confidence in that because we know this is a righteous anger because God is just as angry about, actually more angry about this than I ever could be. It's a helpful process to go through, but it means we have to pause and stop and we actually need to filter. We need to test and investigate and even question our emotions. And I know a lot of people go for the road of this is too much because it, it, it feels like it's so easy to just take this down a bad road. And so why don't we just avoid the emotion at, at, at completely? It's too dangerous. I don't know how to do this well. And so let me just try avoid it. I'll just never be angry. Can I tell you, it, it's a noble thought. And, I, and I, hats off to you if you could do it. But I actually want to just pl- plug on this. I think we can all understand that those who are perpetually angry, always angry, they're going to walk it out in an ungodly way. But can I tell you, there's a lot that God gets angry about. And so if we go down the road of saying, I will never be angry, there's also an ungodliness there because now we are not sharing in the righteous anger that God has. Because if we're walking and moving in a deeper relationship with Him, I hope you know what He gets angry at, we're going to get angry at. And anger is a really important thing because it's a great motivator towards action. When God is going to protect, when God is going to bring clarity, when God is going to actually call to action, He might use you in that situation. How can He use you if you're not sharing in the righteous anger He has there? And so anger all the time, ungodly. Anger none of the time, also ungodly. God gets angry on occasion, but it's always in line with His heart and character. We need to do the same. He gives us two practical applications, two tools that we can actually use in the midst of this filtering process. And those two tools are prayer and God's Word. And so we can filter through prayer. Before we talk to anyone, the pause-stop moment, the moment of filtering, before we talk to anyone, we talk to God about our anger. Me and Nikita have a rule in our house. When the storm is raging, we will ask each other, did you talk to God about this before you spoke to me? Because it's God first, me second. Because the storm that's raging, the anger that's there, sometimes we need to vent it out, we need to have our moment, whatever. Can I tell you, God can handle that anger. And so please, if you need a shout, scream, whatever you need to do, God can handle that. Let him actually be the lightning rod that grounds out the storm that's in you right now. He can actually be the filter even in our conversation of prayer with him. He can handle it. He holds the whole universe. I think he can handle your anger. And it's amazing, suddenly, if we, if we vent it all out there with God, and he's able to start the process of filtering for us, somehow when we come to the moment of response, we've protected those around us. We've protected ourselves because now we're able to respond in a righteous, godly way instead of just reacting and going. Prayer has some helpful things as well attached to it. Prayer can help us not just with our own anger, but even others. And so this means when we see someone who has been triggered and their anger has been awakened, can I tell you, you now can pray for them very specifically. That God will be their filter. That God can be the lightning rod to ground out their storm. He can be that to you and to me. Prayer also can help us listen better. Amazing that we went in the moment where we're like venting and screaming and shouting and, and, and letting it all out on God. And he's lightning rod and grounding out the storm. The amazing thing is, 
he starts to change our heart already in that. Because I've had moments where I've been angry and shouting at like God, telling him how terrible the situation is. And suddenly out of nowhere, I'm starting to ask, maybe I need to actually ask this person the question. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they didn't quite mean it in that way. Maybe actually I'm getting offended over something that actually wasn't meant to be offensive. We start to ask questions because we become better listeners. That's why James tells us we should be quick to hear, slow to speak. And yet we always do it the other way around. Sometimes people's greatest needs in the midst of a conflict is actually to be heard. Prayer helps us become better listeners. The second tool we get is that we get to filter this now through the word. I'd said the water bottle analogy. What is inside under pressure is going to come out. The amazing thing is that when we fill up our bottle with God's word, it means even under pressure in the moment of anger, what is inside comes out. And if we've been filled with God's word, I can tell you it's going to make the, the explosion far less damaging. The American Bible Society um, did this amazing study, and they discovered something in the midst of the study that, study that they called and named the rule of four. And what they were trying to do is uh, discover what effect does being in God's word one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, and so on, have on every area of your life. And so they did the study with thousands upon thousands of people, and through it discovered that there was this magical threshold. And so why they called it the rule of four. Because anyone who would be in God's word, filling themselves up with God's word for four days or more in the week, for some reason, exponentially at that moment, every single statistical data point went up positively, massively. Everything that they measured got exponentially better when the majority of their week was being filled up with God's word. It's such a powerful thing because it improves our filtering machine when we're filled up with God's word. So that when the moment of trigger comes, the emotion is there, we have now got inside of us a better filtering process, a better filtering machine because God's word is alive and active. Some translations actually don't uh, translate this as ponder in your own hearts. It actually says meditate. I think this is a word that's been hijacked by the world, by new age kind of mysticism, Eastern religions, because there is a big difference between meditation in the world and biblical meditation. Biblical, meditation in the world actually is this idea that you empty your heart and mind to find peace. Can I tell you, if you empty your heart and mind, you open yourself up to any enemy or opposition. Biblical meditation is very different because it actually says we meditate on God's word. So we don't empty ourselves. No, we fill our hearts and minds with the word of God so that our filtering machine gets better. Here's where I want to wrap up. We get to our action. Now that we've filtered, we're able to move, we're able to act, and we're either going to respond or we're going to react. If we just feel and move, we're going to react. It's unfiltered, it's uncalled for, it's raw, it leads us down unrighteousness. But if we have filtered, if we have gone through the process of validating our emotion with God and responding, we now actually can respond in a righteous way. And let me tell you, the warning is you can do all the process, your anger is righteous, and still get it wrong in how you play it out. And the helpful question we should actually be asking here is, does my response line up with God's response in this anger? Because how we, how we respond is going to play out on two things. It's going to play out in our words and our deeds. What we say and what we do. And first, I want to look at words. Words matter. Jesus says actually from the 
overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. What is inside comes out. And so words matter, but angry words matter all the more. Because angry words can multiply. Imagine the wildfire of the WhatsApp group. One person goes, triggers. There's an emotion, no filter, immediate reaction. They trigger someone else. Anger, emotion, no filter. They go, now they're fighting with their wife at home. And you watch the wildfire spread of angry words. And it goes out of it, and literally everyone is shouting and no one is listening. And this is not far from us because it plays out in every sphere. But I hope you know what I am describing, and it's not a hypothetical situation because it plays out in the world of social media. And it plays out at an astronomical level because it's far more than now just me, me and a person-to-person, face-to-face. Rick Warren actually talks about the, the dangers of social media and very specifically the lens Can I tell you, the feel, filter, move gets messed up by this. Because it is instant in that I have no time to filter because I can immediately comment. How many of us, you've been on the comment section on Facebook and Instagram just popcorn because things are going, the wildfire is flying. Because you're able to comment instantaneously. There's no thought, there's no pondering, there's no filter, it's just immediate reaction. And then we're shocked when we see slander and lying and gossip and all these things. But it's also constant in that now that list of triggers, we see it all day, every day. And so there's a thousand more opportunities for me and you to be triggered and our anger to be awakened. It's also global, meaning the crowd, bigger crowd, bigger problems. Because now it's not just problems between these people who have been triggering each other. They now get cheerleaders who join in and pick a team. And it's on a global scale that now everyone's involved and everyone is shouting and no one is listening. And then it is also permanent because when it's out there, it's gone. You have no control of it. You can't bring it back. And so now when we do get it wrong, there's no space for regret or apology because there's no function of mistake in the world of social media. It is permanent. When it's there, it's done. You can't bring it back. You can't reconcile. You can't pull it. It doesn't work like that. It's a dangerous space. Words matter, but angry words matter all the more. And then he gets to our actions. In verse 5, David says, Offer right sacrifices, put your trust in the Lord. He starts to talk about sacrifices, and this is important to grab a hold of. Sacrifices in the Old Testament is actually the means by which people were made clean and right to come into the presence of God. And so our actions are going to matter in how we play them out and respond based on the, action, uh, the, the anger that we have filtered. Because actually our righteous deeds are going to speak of the righteousness even in our emotion. Actually, it's a way that we don't just stay in the presence of God, going deeper into Him. It's a way we can bring His presence to the world. Our actions, our deeds can be righteous too. Ben's going to join me on stage. This is where we're going to land it. I think you've heard me across the time. There is so much of this that you have no control over. Life happens to you. Emotions get awakened within you. But I hope that you understand that the distressing process of dealing with that emotion, of processing that emotion, that in it God has relief and help and rest for you and me. That that is his heart for us. 
And he's given us these, these tools and means to filter our emotions and do it in a way that we can identify and validate righteous emotions and move in confidence to respond and walk it out righteously, empowered by him. But I'll remind you of David's words, the God of my righteousness, we don't do it in our strength, we do it in his. It's a gift of God. And so he's given us a means by which the outside world affecting us can now be uh, helped on our inner world. But he's going to end by talking about two gifts that are actually given to our inner world that are not affected by the external. So that we have a means to translate the outside world, but now we have an inner world that can be strengthened in gifts and power from him. He says in verse 7, you have more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O God, make me dwell in safety. The two gifts that God has for our inner world to be strengthened are joy and peace. And these are gifts for our inner world that cannot be affected by the outside. It's why he says that you have given me more joy than prosperity can ever give me. Meaning this is a joy that is inside that is not affected by what happens on the outside. He says, actually, you give me a peace so that I can lie down and sleep. So that now I have a peace and security in God that is not affected by the outside dangers of our world. That that is our security because he is our protection. Joy and peace. He gives it to us as gifts. Supernatural gifts so that our inner world is strengthened. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, our emotions are another way that we can reflect your creation and your image in us. But Lord, we know that they are so dangerous that they can play out in down roads of ungodliness, unrighteousness. They can cause harm and damage. Lord, would you filter our emotions so that we get angry about what you get angry about? So that we line up with your word, with your heart, with your truth, with your way. Lord, it's my prayer. David speaks of the distress that we can be under, and that distress is real in the emotional world we face. But Lord, there is hope because you give us relief. That where there are enemies who come and oppose us, where there are foes who seek to harm us, we have a God who gives us a territory that is enlarged, who puts space and distance between our enemies and us, because you are the one who makes us dwell in safety. It doesn't matter if there's chaos all around, Lord. We can be at peace on the inside because we have strength from an almighty God. Lord, would you give us that gift right now? Would you do business with us even as we worship and we lift up your praise? Would you remind us again that even though it may seem like we're surrounded by enemies and darkness and chaos, that in you, Lord, there is nothing that can overcome you in power, that you are our defender, our protector, that you are the God who fights our battles for us and that there might be distress and turmoil going on, but Lord, you are the one who gives relief. Jesus, it is all about you. We celebrate you, we worship you. Lord, would you do business in hearts right now? I pray this in your name, amen. Let's worship together.